The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. 1 Samuel chapter 16, we'll be there in just a moment as we look at uh, chapter 16, 17, and 18 today. It was noted medical missionary Albert Schweitzer who once said, example is not the main thing in influencing others. It's the only thing. Example is not the main thing in influencing others. It is the only thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 11 tells us about the narratives of the Bible characters found throughout Scripture. It tells us that those narratives are given as examples written for our admonition. At the beginning of the semester, I I gave a message entitled, Leadership Lessons from David's Mighty Men. I've preached a couple of separate standalone messages in chapel since then, and I've intentionally decided to come back as we come to the tail end of the semester to talk about leadership lessons from King David himself. At PCC, we say something quite often, and it's not just a slogan, it's not just a goal, it's the truth. We're training leaders to influence the world for Christ. And with this chapel message, my desire is, as Schweitzer said, my desire is that we allow David's example to influence us to become leaders for Christ. I think the best reference to describe David's leadership at the apex of his leadership is Psalm 78, verse 72. It says of David that he fed them according to the integrity of his heart, and he guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Did you notice those key traits in David's success? It was his integrity. It was his skill. Now, make no mistake, David wasn't perfect. David failed on multiple occasions, and he failed magnificently. But in his integrity, he owned that failure. And he learned from the experience, and he moved forward. Those two words, integrity and skill, quite honestly, are a simple description of the anticipated outcomes that we hope to have with your education here at PCC. If we're training you to be leaders, to influence the world for Christ, it requires that you have the integrity to do what is right and the skill to know how to do it. So for the next few moments, let's observe, let's learn from the example of David's life as he developed his leadership skills. Consider with me first the example of David's potential. And the example that David's potential teaches us, shows us, is this, that God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 16. You're familiar with the story. Saul is to be removed from the throne. God no longer has his hand on him. And he says to the prophet Samuel, Samuel, I want you to go to Bethlehem and I want you to anoint a new king. But not only go to Bethlehem, go specifically to Jesse's house. And one of his sons will be the next king of Israel. And Jesse begins to parade his sons from the oldest to the next to the youngest. 
the oldest comes out. His name is Eliab. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel 16, verse number 6, that as soon as Samuel saw him, he said, surely this is the Lord's anointed. He was tall. He was handsome, articulate, intellectual. This is the quality of a king. But David, uh, but, but God spoke to the heart of Samuel and said, no, 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 I've refused him. I don't look at what you look at. You're looking at the outward appearance, but I am looking at the heart. And Eliab the equipped was not called. He brought out Abinadab, the next to oldest son. Abinadab was just as awesome as his brother Eliab. And God said, no, I've refused him. He brought out Shema, his other son, and he was refused as well. And he went through seven of those sons. And finally, Samuel said to him, said to Jesse, do you have any other sons? These are not the ones that's going to be the king of Israel. And Jesse said, oh, yeah, you're right. I forgot. I have, I have an eighth son. He's out in the shepherd's fields. He's taking care of my sheep. He was so inconsequential to Jesse as the youngest son that he completely forgot about him. And Samuel said, well, we're not going to eat until I meet him. Send someone to get him. And immediately one of the brothers ran to receive, uh, to, to uh, get David and bring him back. And as soon as David entered into the room... God spoke to Samuel and said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. The most inconsequential, the most forgotten, the most unqualified of all of the candidates was the one God had chosen. Why? Because God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the call. God chose to allow David in his youth, probably 14, 15 years of age. God chose the youngest, the, the one that's often the most neglected in the family, to be one that would be equipped for the call that would change the history of the Hebrews. Now, quite honestly, that equipping process wasn't easy for David. And the truth is for you this morning, as a college student, you may be here and you're in the middle of this equipping process. You know that God called you, but this process of equipping you, it's pretty tough right now. Some of you are struggling, struggling academically. There's that one class that's just overwhelming you. It, it, it just weighs like a dark cloud over your shoulder. You know that it's there and you're concerned about it. Some of you are struggling financially. You're worried about how that next bill is going to be paid. Some are struggling emotionally and spiritually. And, 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 and all of these things, whatever it may be, may I say to you, it has a purpose in your life. That God has called you and now he is equipping you for a life of service. There's a nursing student sitting here today. And she's struggling with microbiology. That's a tough course. Understanding all of the aspects of those, uh, of those infections and germs and microorganisms and such. And, and you're thinking to yourself, I, I, I can't do this. Is it worth it? And you're willing to abandon a call on your life because of a, of a difficult moment in your training. But I promise you, if you remain faithful and you understand the truth that God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called, and God is equipping you through the difficulty of that class, what not only are you gaining is the ability to understand what's necessary to be a nurse, but you know what God is equipping you with right now? Empathy. Because one day when you're working on that floor 
and you come across a patient who's just been diagnosed with some disease that has a name that's 50 letters long and they have no idea what it is and they are scared to death in their lack of knowledge of what the diagnosis is. Remember the moment when you sat in that microbiology class struggling to understand yourself and show sympathy and empathy to that patient. There's a micro, there's a, there's a, a mechanical engineering student sitting in here today that's struggling with kinematic design of planner mechanisms. I don't even know what that is. I can tell you this, it scares me though. What's a planner mechanism? I, I've heard of planner fasciitis. That's a, that's a hill spur, but are we studying hill spur? I, I don't know what it is, but I do know this. It, it's a difficult class. It's, it's a, a class that's up there in, in junior, senior level. And, and, and here's the thing. Sometimes those classes that you can't get your mind wrapped around, it's God showing you that you don't know everything. And he's equipping you to see the work that he can do through your life. There's a Bible major in here who wants to be a pastor. And you barely passed English 121. And now you're in beginner Greek. You're declining, you're parsing, you're conjugating, and you do not have a clue. It is Greek to you. And you say, what good is this? All I want to do is preach. What's the importance of Greek? Let me tell you, here's the importance of Greek and the importance of that difficult class. The importance of Greek is this, that that's preparing you to be a better student of the Word of God. But secondarily, you know the confusion you're facing right now? You, you know the, the difficulty as you study you're facing right now? God is giving you a spirit of empathy so that when you're pastoring and that new convert comes in who has never heard anything about church, God, religion, Christ, salvation, God is showing you how it feels to be completely clueless and how important it is that you show grace as you lead that new convert in discipleship. You're in the equipping process. And God wants you to reach that God-given potential for your life as he equips you. Eric Barker wrote a book entitled Barking Up the Wrong Tree. This was back in 2019 when the book was released. It was a book about careers. It's a secular book. And in the book, he noted some information that was found in research from Boston College. They noted that the average GPA of most American success stories, CEOs and entrepreneurs, people who make over a million dollars a year, the average GPA of those success stories, those, those uh, CEOs when they were in college, their average GPA was a 2.9. That's the average. That means some were higher and that means some were lower. They also found out that most of them didn't graduate from Ivy League colleges. And the net result of the research was this, that the success of a CEO or an entrepreneur was not based on their brilliance, but their resilience, that they didn't quit. Now, if the secular world can understand that, you and I as Christians should understand that, that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. We only have 27 days left in this semester. Can I have an amen right there? So let's make sure we finish strong and allow God to continue that equipping process in our heart today.
The example of David's potential. God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. The example of David's passion. God's calling will drive you to serve when others will not serve. You're in 1 Samuel 16. Look in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And notice verse number 29. David asked the question. David said, is there not a cause? You know the story here. The children of Israel are gathered at the Valley of Elah. They're on one side and the Philistines are on the other side. And day by day, the, the, the giant of Gath would come. And that giant would mock the Hebrews and would curse Jehovah. And David was not one of the soldiers. His three oldest brothers were there ready to serve. Well, they were there. And Jesse would send them food back and forth. And for 40 days, every day, David would hear the giant of Gath uh, humiliating the Israelites and cursing God. And on the 40th day, he had had enough. And he began going around talking to the crowd. And the question was this, is there not a cause? That word cause is an interesting word. Studied in the Hebrew, if you have a Strong's Concordance, you can see this. That word cause is most, tra- most often translated in the Old Testament word. In fact, it's 807 times in the Old Testament translated word. Four times, even in, verse, in chapter 17, it's translated word or in relationship to speech. In, in verse number 11, when Saul and all the Israelites heard those words, there it is again. In verse number 23, and he spake according to the same words, there it is again. Verse number 27, and the people answered him after the same manner. This is the, uh, the same word. That word cause, it's not just having some rallying banner under. What David is saying is this. Is there not a word? Are you going to allow Goliath to stand out there and, and, and say these things about God and about God's people? Is there not an answer? Is there not a solution? Is there not a response to the Goliath problem? And those cowardly Israelites were like the story about four people named everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry because everybody, it was everybody's job. And everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. And it ended up everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. That story may be confusing, but the message is clear. Anyone can identify a problem. But it takes passionate leadership to offer a solution. That's what David does. David shows passionate leadership. And on that fourth day, when no one else would do anything, he stood up and he said, I believe my God is greater than that nine-foot-tall giant, and I am willing to take him on even if no one else will. The Valley of Elah that day was a hinge moment in the history of the Hebrews. Because it was the beginning of David's authority and leadership. While not on the throne just yet, people began to realize who he was. And Israel began the slow transition to the throne of David. You know, there's a handful of hinge moments in world history. June 6, 1944, as we refer to it, D-Day. That's a hinge moment. It was on that day that hung in the balance the power of World War II the fate of the world. But did you know that one of the most unknown heroes of D-Day was a man who never set foot on Normandy's beach? He never commanded a single troop. He, He never wore 
a uniform. It was a man by the name of Andrew Higgins. Higgins was the man responsible for designing and building what was referred to as the LCVP. It was those small landing boats that brought the troops to the, to the beaches on D-Day. What's most amazing is this, is that Higgins did it all without any request from the military. In fact, he did it with opposition from the military. The Navy didn't like LCVPs. They wanted large ships, and those LVCPs were too small. But Higgins saw what the Navy couldn't see. That after crossing the English Channel, those larger ships would not be able to get the troops close enough to the shore. And the assault on the beaches of Normandy would have to involve dozens of battleships and scores of destroyers and thousands of LCVPs, now known as Higgins boats, to deliver the troops to the shore. Twenty years after the war, the general of D-Day, Dwight Eisenhower, who was then president, or a former president, made this statement when speaking to a reporter. Higgins is the man who won the war for us. Because Higgins was a man of vision and passion. And that vision and passion met a need that only he could feel. College student, God is calling you to a cause he is equipping you to answer a need only you can answer. And your passion, matched with your character and your skill, can make all the difference. But here's the key. PCC can train you. We can give you the best knowledge and experience for your career field. We can give you practicums and preceptorships. We can give you on-the-job training and internships. We can invest in your character by training you as we are consistently. We can invest in your social development, but there's one thing we cannot give you. That's passion. Passion is something that comes from inside out, not outside in. And in a culture that is unmotivated and indifferent, unresponsive and apathetic, it is passionate leadership that makes the difference. John Wesley, the revivalist of the 18th century, made this statement. Light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn. May that be our mantra. That we're filled with passion. Not just knowledge. Not just experience. But a passion that will drive us to serve when others will not. The example of David's passion, God's calling will drive you to serve when others will not. God's, uh, the example of David's potential, God doesn't call the equipped, but equips the called. But then there's a third example, the example of David's poise. God's grace will strengthen you with calm in ch challenging circumstances. You're in chapter 17. Look at verse, uh, chapter 18. You remember after uh, Goliath has been slain, the, the song going around Israel is this. Uh, the young women were saying, well, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And the Bible says that, that Saul became very jealous of David, and he began to eye David. He was displeased, and he began to eye David. Verse number 9, from that day forward. 
And in his jealousy, verse number 11, he decided he would attempt to kill him, and he cast a javelin at him. He said, I'll smite him even to the wall. And David avoided out of his presence twice those attempts on his life. But I love verse 14. And David behaved himself wisely in all of his ways. And the Lord was with him. It was a God-given poise. It was a grace that could only come from God, that was seen in that moment. (laughs) You have to admit, it's quite a challenge when your boss tries to kill you. But David, in that moment, he behaved himself wisely. He didn't lose hope. You may be here today and you're saying, well, what's that got to do with me? I don't have javelins and spears being hurled at me. You're exactly right. But you know, the Bible says Satan is consistently hurling fiery darts at us. And how do you have a peace spiritually? How do you have a calm spiritually? How do you have hope in challenging circumstances? A few weeks ago, on October 22nd, uh, there was a a new study released from Harvard's University of Human Flourishing program. They did a study that began just before the pandemic, went through the pandemic, through the contentious election and the social unrest afterwards, and, and they partnered with the American Bible Society to see the correlation between scripture reading and hope. They surveyed more than a thousand people over six months on two separate occasions, and here's what they found. On a scale of one to 100, with 100 being the most hopeful, Americans who report reading the Bible three to four times per year scored 42 on the hopeful scale. People who read the Bible monthly scored 59 on the hopeful scale, weekly 66. Those who read the Bible multiple times per week, 75 with hope in their heart. Isn't it amazing that Harvard, a a very secular university, the, the Harvard program of human flourishing is recognizing what we've known all along in the church, that this Bible is the source of our hope. It doesn't rob us or take us from the difficult circumstance, but it gives us a hope to be able to make it through that circumstance. Contrast that with the recent announcement from the CDC. It was announced through a program called the National Data on Age Gradients and Well-Being Among U.S. Adults. The Surgeon General released it, and he said at that release of the moment, there is evidence of a mental health crisis and a rise in loneliness in the United States that is disproportionately affecting young adults. What he was saying is this, is that your generation feels the most hopeless than any other time in the history of America. Your generation has a greater moment of despair. And rather than us saying, oh, that's just the way it is. No, this is an opportunity. Be a leader. And do what Peter told those early Christians. Be ready always to give an answer of every man that asked of the reason of the hope that lies within you. You see, if God's called you, he'll give you a calm confidence to face any circumstance. David's poise, God's grace will strengthen you to have calm in challenging circumstances. But number four, let's see the example of David's patience. God's timing is always best and for our good. Do you realize that it was 1 Samuel 16 that David was anointed to be king, but it wasn't until 2 Samuel 5 that he sat on the throne? The story of David's life would have this banner over it for those years. Wait for it. Wait for it. 
In fact, he waited approximately 15 years to become the king. And be honest about David. David was impatient. You look through the Psalms and over and over again, you hear him crying out, how long is this going to take? It's on our screen, Psalm 13, verse 1. How long will thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long will you hide thy face from me? It's almost as if David is saying, hey, God, you remember me. I'm that young man that you had Samuel anointed to be king. Hey, I'm still here. I'm still waiting. I'm not on the throne yet. Did you, did you forget about me? Sometimes we're so impatient. I'll admit, I'm impatient. Is there anybody else here that is irritated it takes two and a half minutes to pop popcorn in a microwave? I remember when I was growing up, we'd have to use Jiffy Pop, and Mom would have to turn the stove on, and the stove would have to heat up, and then she'd stand there for five minutes shaking that thing over, and 15 minutes later, we'd have popcorn. And now I'm frustrated it takes two and a half minutes. Does anyone else get upset that Someone doesn't respond to your text as quick as you think they should. You, you can see, it says, text read. You see the little bubbles. It's as if they're just staring at the screen and nothing is coming back. That just... Is there anyone else that gets frustrated because the drive through takes three minutes instead of a minute and a half? Now, I'm not going to lie to you. I love fast food. I didn't get in this condition eating tofu and twigs. My favorite restaurant is McDonald's. Bum, 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 I'm loving it. My favorite hamburger is the double cheeseburger. I've learned something about McDonald's. McDonald's has this assembly line process. They're consistently making the same thing. They have a process that is always the same. It's a mass production system. But I've learned if I, if I want my burger to be better, I ask for something a little different. And I, I'll say at the, at the, at the, at the uh, order, I'll say, I'd like a double cheeseburger, no ketchup. Well, you would think everything would fall apart at that point. I pull up to the window and I pay. And the lady will say, you'll have to pull off to the side. It's going to take a few minutes because you had a special order. I'll pull off to the side, and shortly thereafter, they'll bring the food out. But here's what I figured out. When they bring that hamburger out, it's always a little hotter. And those fries are a little fresher. And that Diet Coke, you've got to cut back somewhere. That Diet Coke's a little colder. <laughs> Why? Because I asked for something special, but I had to wait for it. Now, our life is more than hamburgers, fries, and a Coke. But if you're here and you want to live a run-of-the-mill, routine, everyday life, then just accept what comes down the assembly line. But if you want to be a, a leader that is used of God, ask God to do something special with your life. But here's the key. It requires that you be willing to wait. Learn the example of David's patience. God's timing is always best and for our good. God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. God will call you in such a way that it will drive you to serve when others will not. God's grace will give you sufficient in difficult times. And God's patience will remind you he will do his work at the best time for you. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.